Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. Today I will be giving you a summary of our group's discussion of Hour 11 of Learn the Bible in 24 Hours, which goes over the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then some of our group's discussion was an investigation of some of the things going on that are called progressive Christianity. Some of the things that stood out to us about Isaiah in the discussion of this chapter were how much the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is quoted in the New Testament. And if you just listened to my reading of the book of John, you will see that a lot. Also, there is the nature of prophecies where they can mean more than one thing or telescope from one time period or prophecy to another prophecy much further in the future. And with this, the idea that the sooner prophecy, the thing that occurs sooner, then causes you to watch more for the thing that's going to occur later in the future. The particulars of the prophecy of the virgin birth are quite interesting on different levels, one being that King Ahaz was told to ask for a sign and then didn't, but then was given the sign of the virgin birth, and then some of the claims of difficulties of translation. But when you look at it, there are many reasons to confirm that it really was talking about a virgin birth. One of the easiest being there wouldn't be a sign to just say that, oh, a woman is going to have a baby. That just wouldn't mean anything at all. And the other is that when the text was translated into the Greek, they very clearly chose a word that clearly meant a virgin. So that was how that word was taken in context. Now, it's very common for the prophets to be telling things to the people of Israel that's not fun about destruction or judgment because they were frequently doing what they shouldn't be doing. But Jeremiah in particular had a very sad job. Basically, no one listened to him. He was abused and hurt, put down in pits. And it was a, it's an example of how unwelcome it is when you tell people they are going the wrong direction, that people often are offended by the truth and disregard it, and not only disregard it, but abuse those who tell them about it. But that doesn't make the truth not the truth. And there was also a comparison to Noah. He and his family were the only ones out of so many people who were saved because they listened to God. In discussing the truth, people often just simply claim it can't be right because they don't like it. It's unpalatable to them. But there has to be a humility that our understanding is different than the vastness of God's understanding. God is entitled to his mysteries, and there are simply going to be some mysteries because of who he is compared to us. Compared to him, our understanding is extremely limited. In Jeremiah, the blood curse on Jeconiah is brought up, and I related a story where my grandma many years ago pointed this out to me and asked me to investigate it as a way to show me how God works all things according to his plan, no matter what people are doing. 
And we were very intrigued by how Babylon comes up again in both Jeremiah and Isaiah and its ultimate destruction, which hasn't happened. But we also hear about Babylon in the book of Revelation. So we're not saying we understand all of that, but there are definitely some things we can watch for. Next, we got on to talking about Ezekiel and how it can be a very complicated book in a lot of ways, a lot of images. But um, one of the groups of images that are brought out in this chapter is of the four faces. And it was pointed out how those four faces align with not only the banners of the four camps of the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament in the books of Moses. And we say four camps because if you remember and you go back and read those, there were three tribes per camp and they were arranged around the tabernacle. So not only do these faces correspond to the standards of the the main tribe in each of those camps, but these faces correspond to the themes of the four gospels. It is always fascinating to read in Ezekiel about the idea of the Valley of Dry Bones, and the idea presented here in the book is that even though the nation, the people have been brought back to Israel, they haven't been filled with God's Spirit yet, so they're like a Valley of Dry Bones, so there's going to be a spiritual awakening still. And then there's the event in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 that talk about them being invaded, but being saved miraculously by God and their energy needs being supplied for seven years from the result of this attack and how much this sounds like a nuclear war because they have to wait for seven months before they can clean it up. And even after that, they're supposed to mark things and go get a professional. So that's very intriguing. We also talked about how short and lazily selective people's memories sometimes are. For instance, in the book of John chapter 7, there's a a section where it talks about people kind of gossiping about where did Jesus come from? We know where the Messiah was supposed to come from. We don't know where he came from. But they could have asked him or there were records. His mother was there and they knew where the Messiah was supposed to come from. But then they say they don't know where the Messiah is supposed to come from. But if you compare that to scriptures when Jesus was born, we know that Herod sent to ask those who would know, and they told him where the Christ was to be born. So they had the information, but on some level, they just chose to talk about it, not to really find out. And even when the Jews or the Pharisees did find out things that clearly showed Jesus showing, saying that he was the Son of God, then their response was so frequently to try to kill him giving one more example that people are often not interested in the truth. Now, this segues us into the discussion of this idea of progressive Christianity, because one of the things about it is that they have no foundation for truth. It's like they're making up truth that sounds good to them as they go along. One proponent of this idea is a fellow named Brian Zand, and uh, I have heard him on video saying that when he, quote, goes to the Old Testament, he never goes without Jesus. And when he's there, he turns to Jesus and says, what do you think of this part of the Old Testament, Jesus? And Jesus invariably turns to this fellow, Brian Zond, and says, oh, what do you think of it, Brian? And so Brian Zond tells Jesus, and Jesus agrees with Brian Zond. It's all very convenient. So um, one of the fellows in our group has shown how ridiculous this approach is by applying it to his 
grocery shopping. He says now that he never goes to the grocery store without Jesus, and when he gets to something like chocolate, he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, should I buy this chocolate? And Jesus says to him, well, what do you think? And he says to Jesus, well, I think I should get it. Of course, our friend here is doing this in jest to show just how vain this use is. It's pretty much like taking God's name in vain. It is misrepresenting him and and using him as a facade to do whatever you want, to think whatever you want. Then someone in our group suggested that we all at least watch part of a movie that they had purchased called American Gospel Christ Crucified. And this is the second film in a series. The first film in the series was subtitled Christ Alone, and I haven't seen that, but I have seen this second one. It's three hours long, but it is a very interesting juxtaposition of progressive Christians and their claims, their mocking, unfounded claims about who God is and what the Bible is compared to those who can speak of the truth and the reasons that we really can believe the Bible. So we watched about a half an hour of that together, and most people are planning on watching that themselves, and then we're going to come together and discuss some core doctrines that are at stake in all of this. I will put a link to the website where they produce this movie. You can either rent it or buy it on Amazon, and I will also put a couple of other links that give a good discussion of progressive Christianity and what's at stake with it. So that's the summary of our group's meeting. I do hope that you go and read Hour 11 of Learn the Bible in 24 Hours by Chuck Missler yourself. It's got some very interesting things in it. And also, I will link to a video of Chuck Missler himself talking about this chapter because he has some very interesting timelines that show how the different prophets go together with the different kingdoms, and it really helps you to get a better grasp on what's going on. It emphasizes that these were real people in real times. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 